0: make sure i confess in front of the whole body that's now valentine's day was uh, mine was pretty much the valentine's day massacre my wife carried um my child for like 38 months however long you carry a child and blew up and lost her girly figure and all that stuff it's back now but but lost that and and for all of her hard work you think that this valentine our kid's five weeks old now and she's you know doing all the motherly stuff and so you think that at five weeks I give her a great Valentine's card and present and love and, and, and I, I didn't. I blew it. I missed it completely. I didn't get a card. I, I didn't, I mean, not a card. By the way, the whole goal in this is to make every other man in the room look good. So if you're a male, you can give me cash later, but I, I got no card. I got. I didn't even get the little, you know, the the Revco, I didn't even know Revco anymore, Eckerd, Walgreens, little Whitman sampler thing, that that last desperation effort of, I'm really a loser and didn't get anything, so here. Didn't get that. Didn't get the little packet. Didn't like to beat up a fifth grader and take the little candy heart thing, you know, that says, you're cool or, you know, be mine. Didn't do that. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And her dad, because he's actually a good male, brought back over this card that was like this it was like a poster-sized billboard thing that she had made for him when he was uh, like when she was like 17 and it said basically you're the only man in my life the only man i'll ever want or desire i'll never have another man replace it wasn't like a weird freaky thing don't get me wrong but it, <laughs> it's kind of alabama now but it was just like this it was this i love you you're a great male and i've never wanted to replace you and he's sitting there holding this up meanwhile i've got nothing to offer and i'm like but I gave you a child and that that didn't really that didn't really placate it either. Um and here here's the thing. When David asked to speak a couple weeks ago, my wife will attest to it, and my brother and sister over here, I normally get what I'm gonna talk about uh driving over to the place. So I'm driving there, I get it, there you go. When David asked, immediately my heart and my mind went to what we're gonna talk about today. And and the truth of it is this, and, and I'm glad Kim set it up by prefacing it saying, for those of you that are first time here, I'm not David, and so don't hold this against David. It's not a David sanction thing, so come back next week, and I promise you'll be better or, or, or kinder for you. But I really think this, it's a hard message, it's a tough message, but I also think that it's one that hit me right in the face, and I think that it's kind of where we are. So uh, kind of indulge that if you would. Let me pray for it, and we'll get going. Let me, let me set it up one more thing with this. What we're going to talk about today is this. We're going to talk about repentance and owning your sin. and and walking in confidence that that your sin's been overcome, and that you have a great destiny. David said this, or or has been talking about this the last couple weeks. I think it's neat, and more confirmation that it's totally his message. Not David's, the Lord's. But I think it's total confirmation in this, is because I haven't been here for the last couple weeks with our kid, and everything that he's been talking about when I touch base with him is exactly kind of building to this. He's been talking about you have... You know, about destiny and about you have this thing that you're supposed to be involved with, this deal that he has set out for you, and that your deal is part of his bigger deal. And I think that it's kind of perfect confirmation that, that this is where we're going. So let me pray for it and we'll go. Father God, I do pray this. Lord, I pray that you would come and move in this place. And Lord, I pray if nothing else happens here today, Lord, that your voice would be heard, that your word would be known, Lord, that our our, our lives would be impacted our hearts and our minds would be changed and transformed. Uh, and Lord, I pray this. I pray that you would take us individually and collectively and move us from, from, from ritual transaction, Lord, into heart spiritual transformation. Lord, you desire to do mighty things in us and through us. Uh, and Lord, all we say is this. Lord, we desire to be available for you. We desire to be a tool for you. Uh, and so, Lord, come and speak to our hearts today. It's in your mighty and awesome and powerful name that we pray all these things. Amen. Kind of setting it up with this vision. I'm going to talk about two walls. The wall in Joshua, in Jericho, when the people crossed over into the Promised Land. and They go to Jericho, and it says about Jericho that the city was completely shut up or closed off. The, the city that was completely tightened down by this big, massive, impregnable wall. And I'm going to talk about Jerusalem with Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall. When he comes and finds a wall that's totally torn down and in shambles, and there's a great deal of rubbish and trash built up. So that it's not easy to move in and out of, and the enemy just has direct access into it. So we're going to talk about those two things, and I was thinking about this back there. The essence of it is this, the the Lord wants to change our perspective completely around. Because I think here's where a lot of us live, and I'm speaking completely to me, is that a lot of us live with this wall of Jericho, and we're kind of closed off to him. We're not available to him. We don't allow him to have complete access into our life. We shut him out. Meanwhile, we're broken down on this side and we give the enemy free reign. And so we close him off on this, close the Lord off on this side saying, Uh that, that's a little bit too hard, that's a little bit too much, that's a little bit too uncomfortable, and we shut him off. And over here, we're, we're kind of lazy spiritually, and we just say, Enemy, just have your way. Just come on in. And the truth of it is this as long as this wall's down, this wall's up. As long as the enemy has access to our lives and he can get to us and he can beat us up this wall is going to be up. And I think what he wants to do is totally and completely change our perspective. We tend to do this. We tend to view him through the prism of the world. We tend to to look at him through our circumstances, through our conditions, and we view him as we see things around us. And I think what he wants to say is this. I want you to view the world through the prism of me. I, I want to build this wall up so that the enemy has no access to you and I want to tear this wall down so you can walk completely in your destiny. And so I think that's kind of where we're going today. If you would, turn with me to, with me to Joshua 6. And kind of set it up at this point. Moses is dead. Joshua has the people. And he's getting ready. to He's led him into the promised land. And the first stop on the victory march is they come to this city of Jericho. And kind of set it up a little bit historically. Jericho, by this time, had existed for thousands of years. It'd been around, and there's a reason that it had lasted as long as it had, and that's because it had this massive fortification, this wall around it, that in some places was up to 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. It was, it was impregnable. It was impenetrable. People said there's no way you can get access to it. It's completely shut off. And so they come to this point, and, they, and it's kind of like the people are walking for, and they've been confident, the water moved, and they walked across on dry land, and that, and that was pretty cool, but now you get to a whole different level of challenge a whole different level of this is what i want you to do and where i want you to go and so they come to the city of jericho and all i'm going to do is read verse six and one, or six one and six two it says this now jericho was tightly shut up because of the israelites and no one went out and no one came in and then in verse two it says this then the lord said to joshua see i've delivered jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men in, in essence all he's saying is this and he said this time and time again. He says it in Genesis. He says it in Deuteronomy and Exodus. And he's just repeating what he's already said. I'm giving you this land. I desire for you to move into it. This is your destiny. If you ever wonder, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How far do you want me to take it? This is where I want you to go. Right now, this is where I'm moving you. But then go back for a second. Why was it shut off? In, in verse 3 or chapter 3, it says this as they move in. It says, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the word of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you. Listen to the, the parade here. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. There will be a quiz later for all the eight groups, right? I don't even know who half of these people are. I didn't know they exist. I think they made them up. They're distant kin of the stands of Kazakhstan and Pakistan. I don't know. But you got all these different eight groups in the Promised Land, and as they move in, he says this: all these different eight groups are there. All of them are your enemy. All of them are going to work against you. And so when you say when they come to Jericho, and the reason he gets it gives them for it being shut up, is not none of those other eight groups. What he says is this: it's shut up because of the Israelites. Why was their destiny closed off? Why didn't they have access into their destiny? It wasn't because of the others. Why, why, why is this relationship failing? Well, she just doesn't listen. She just won't pay attention to me. Why, why can't I get this promotion? Well, these, these guys are working against me. There's no integrity. There's a lack of moral fiber there. It's their fault. It's a therein issue. Well, why can't I have victory? I keep struggling with this sin. Why do I keep struggling with this sin? Why can't... It says, it's not about them. It's not about this thing that's out there. It's not about these other groups. He says, it's you. It's you. And so he says, your destiny's shut off because of you. And and why is that? Go back to Nehemiah. Turn to Nehemiah in chapter 2, and it says this. And this is, like I said, it's tough, but it's truth. In Nehemiah 2, it says this. Go down to verse 11. Let me set Nehemiah up for you a little bit, too. Nehemiah was the servant of the king. He lived in Susa. And by this time in the story, the Jews had returned, or some of the Jews had returned to the promised land. They'd been taken away in the Babylonian captivity. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. The walls were completely in shambles. Some of the people had made their way back to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple, but the walls still laid in ruins. The walls were still down. The gates were still burned. And, and the enemy just had straight access into it. And it says basically about this, that there was all kinds of trash, there was all kinds of rubble built up, so it was hard to move around. And, and I don't know about you, maybe it's a guy thing, I don't know. My, my room is a disaster in terms of clothes, and, and my wife's been gracious enough to give me one closet where I can keep my, my, my stuff. And so I've got a hat bag, and that hat bag gets layered up with other stuff. And, and if it was up to me, like I used to, I'd pile it up everywhere in the room and then kind of work around it. And we kind of ignore that it's there. we got these stacks of it, and we, we know it's there, we see it's there, and instead of doing something about it, it requires too much effort, so we just kind of walk around it. And then we even go beyond that, we start decorating it. We start trying to make it look festive and mask the fact that it's just junk, that it's just garbage, and, and we put other stuff around it. In my backyard, i got this manly, woodsy-type motivation a couple months ago that i'm going to rip down trees and fences and do all kinds of manly woodsy stuff and in my backyard now i've got a pile of debris i've got a big old fence on it a big chain link fence it's all mauled and halfway torn down and it's like i'm gonna leave it right there for right now it's gonna require a little bit too much effort so when i go to cut the grass or get something out of the shed i've got to go down a hill and then back up a hill and around and i do that instead of just dealing with the pile. And so when you talk about Jerusalem and the walls at this point, they're down, there's rubble, they see it, they recognize it, but it's just kind of like, that's just what we do. It's been in this state for over 70 years now. For 70 years of life, we rebuild the temple, but we have to go around and we avoid and we just kind of act like that's normal. That's just what we do. And so that's the place that Nehemiah comes back in. He gets this vision that he's supposed to go and restore the wall. And so in Nehemiah 2, starting in verse 11, it says this. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few men, and I had not told anyone what I was there to do. There were no mounts with me except for the one that I was riding. And let me me make sure you get this. Here's what he's doing. He says, I'm here because I know that this place is in shambles. I know that the walls are down. And what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to take some guys with me, some other people with me, to go and examine the state of the walls, And I think this, it's easy for us in solo, it's easy, easy for us if we stay single, and I'm not talking about marriage or relationship, but if we try to deal with the stuff in our lives in a solo fashion, in a single fashion, it's easy to deceive, it's easy to lie, it's easy to work around the piles. And so what he did was this, he says, I want to take a group of guys with me to help point out the obvious. I want them to help point out for me the piles, the debris, the rubbish. And also, and, and this is probably the most important aspect, I want to bring guys with me to point out the places where the wall's down and the gates are down. And, and let me make sure you understand that idea. When it says the gates are down, the gates were portals. The gates were places of access into the city. And so when he says, I want you to look at the portals, what he's saying is this. I want, you to, I want to show you the places where the enemy has access to your life. I want to show you the place where the enemy can get into your life and destroy you and break you down. And for us, it's different. Guys and girls are different. Each individual is different. But overall, big picture, people have access to our lives. The enemy has access to our lives through our senses. We see, we hear, we touch, we're emotional, we're about feeling. And the enemy knows all of those things and the enemy uses all of those things. If I can capture a man's eyes, I can steal a man's heart. If I can capture a girl's emotions, I can steal a girl's heart. And so I'm going to take people with me, surround me with people that care about me, that desire my best, and I want them to reveal in me those places where the enemy's beating me up. And and, and let's get down to it. We dance around it, we try to go soft with it. When we say there's rubble, we say there's trash and there's debris and there are open places. All we're saying is this, we have sin in our life. It's sin. Call it what it is. And Brendan Manning says this, he says, Unless I accept the poverty, the powerlessness, and the neediness of my life, then I'm doomed to repeat it. Until I take ownership of the sin that's in my life, it's going to keep beating me up. There's a reason why the Lord gives Adam the power to name. And the reason is this, in naming something, there's dominion or control over it. And oftentimes we just want to glow, gloss over things with, well, I'm kind of I'm kind of struggling with this. I, I've got this little issue, I've got this thing. Instead of just calling it out and saying, here's the sin in my life. If you don't name it, it controls you. When you call it out by name and you allow others to name it with you, you gain control over it and it stops beating you up. Does that that make sense? I think what he says is this. He says, you need people to show you the sin in your life, and you need to own your sin. Not walk in it, not wallow in it, because when you own it, you can put it aside. And so they go out and they inspect the walls. And the walls were torn down, and there was trash was there. And then in verse 17, he says this, and this is great. He said to them, he's talking about the people who've been in Jerusalem, the people who live there, the people who've known what's going on. He says to them, you see this. You see this. He didn't ask him the question, do you see this? He just simply said, you see it. You've known it. You've been walking around it. You've been skirting it. And he says, you see it. And basically asked this question, what are you going to do about it? We ought to rebuild it. We ought to rebuild it. It's what he's saying. What are you going to do about it? I think this, it's the, we work in such a diminished capacity. I'm talking about me especially. We operate and focus and work in such a diminished capacity. When I was playing, playing football in college, I had a dislocated shoulder and it kept dislocating, never had any surgery done on it, work done on it until like my last year. And so basically I, it hurt, it was awful, it was, it wasn't as strong as it could be, but I learned how to function with it being displaced i learned how to function with it being broken i learned how to function with it being minimalized and then i had the surgery right before my senior year and it's like whoa a whole new world the strength was better it didn't hurt as much i could operate more effectively it's kind of that that moment of this is what i've been missing and i think the people of jerusalem have been functioning in this diminished capacity this sense of well this is just what we do. It's, that, it's the whole Brady Bunch thing. When I say the Brady Bunch vase episode. You know what I'm talking about? For all you people that are old like me, the, the Brady Bunch vase episode, I think, was the first time in TV history that they used the super slow motion forward and super slow motion rewind because they did it about 85 times during the episode. It's like one of those things, you got a new gadget, so you keep doing it. And the boys were playing basketball in the house, and the ball came down the steps, and then it hit the vase on the table, and it shattered into pieces, and they're like, oh my Lord, we're brewing. It's like they kept doing it 85 times. We got it, we got it. Ball hits the vase, it dies, we, we get that. And so the guys have to come up with a way, what are we going to do? Do we, do, we do? do we own it? Do we just go to mom and dad and say, hey, we've got this, we did this, sorry, Alice go make a sandwich. What do we do? And in essence, what they do is they say, let's lie. Let's hide it. And so they take all the pieces, and they get that super crazy glue that can spot a guy to a beam, and they put that on the vase, and they put this thing together, and then they put flowers in it and water, and they put it back on the dining room table, and it's like, man, we got it. Whoo! If we can just hold this thing together through dinner, we're golden. And the whole time at dinner, you see them sitting here watching the vase, and the conversation's having, and they're watching the vase, and all of a sudden, the water breaks out through a little crack, and it starts to leak, and it's like... Come on, come on, hold it together. And then it cracks over here, and, it cra- and by the end of dinner, the whole thing just falls apart. And it spreads out on the table, and it's just like totally exposed. And I think that's the way we operate in terms of, let me mask it, let me hide it, let me try to keep it together and looking right as long as I can so that we don't get exposed. And at the end of the day, just like that vase, any kind of lie, any kind of cover-up is destined to fail because it's not your destiny. It's destined to fail because it's not your destiny. He says, I want you to have victory. I want you to be a wall knocker downer. I want you to move into this place and possess it and own it, and you can't do that with sin. And so we keep going in Nehemiah. He says, you see the trouble that we're in, and he basically asks this question through a statement, what is it that you want to do about it? And the people's response, you're thinking, okay, they've been called out, they got in their face a little bit, they've been called out, here we go, here's what's going to happen, they're going to embrace it, yeah, let's go, it's going to be awesome. And you get this statement, even without a little, there's no exclamation mark, it's simply this, okay, let's let's start rebuilding. Let's kind of start doing this thing, it'll be okay, that's good. Understand this, for 70 years, this is the way they operated. For 70 years, in the temple, it had been rebuilt, there was ritual transaction. They, they did service. They did, the, they did their sacrifices, they burned their candles, they did their standing and rituals. They did the ritual, they transacted, but there was zero spiritual transformation. And, and the evidence of, that, evidence of that is this. If there was spiritual transformation, there would be a distaste for allowing the sin nature to continue. And so we had this ritual transaction without transformation. And so they begin this process of rebuilding. And let's kind of go quickly through this. As they rebuild, there's a two-fold process. The first thing that has to happen is you clean out the debris. It's an internal job. You get people to name it. You get people to call you out on it, and you deal with it. You name it. You own it. You clean it. And the second phase of it is you start to rebuild and repair your defense mechanism. You put people around you that will pray for you that'll invest in you, that'll help point out again when you start to fall back into it. And you get this beautiful image of one guy holding a trowel, you know, putting concrete down, building a wall, and in the other hand he's got a sword. Because as soon as you start this process of healing, of rebuilding, the enemy's going to get hacked off and come at you even stronger. When the walls were down, the enemy didn't care. He had free reign, he could do whatever he wanted to. As soon as they start to repent and build back up, the enemy says, I'm coming after you. And so there's this dual image of, I'm putting concrete down, but I'm fighting with a sword over here because I know the enemy wants to have at me. And I got people around me that are praying for me, that love me. Here we go. And, and so I think, I think here's the, here's the question. When he says, here's the condition, here's the status quo, here's where we stand, he's telling him this. And this TD Jakes, he says this, you've got to make a choice. Either you're going to continue to live in your history. Are you going to make a decision to live out your destiny? But you can't do both. You can't possess this land until you shore, until this is shored up, until he's cleansed you and purged you. And so I ask, are, are you going to do that? Are you going to keep living in this history? You keep doing the same old thing, embracing the same old thing, engaging in the same old sin, allowing the enemy continued access. Or are you going to say, I choose this day to say no more? Understand this about it. The enemy only has the access that you allow him in your life. The enemy only has the access to the degree to which you allow him in your life. Am I going to keep doing the same old thing, or am I going to say, like Joshua, it's time to move forward? It's time to move into this place that's been promised for me, that's been guaranteed to me. Does that make sense? And if you go to Nehemiah 2.20, it says this. His critics started to lash out at him. Some of the ite groups started to lash out at him because they were the enemy and he was starting to build this thing and they were ticked off about it. And Nehemiah's response to him is this. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. It's his job. It's the Lord's job. It's his call. It's his destiny for you. You make a decision to or not to be a part of it. You make a choice to embrace it or to run away from it. He says, it's his work, it's his job. He's going to give us success, and we're going to do what he asks us to do. Insert the word obedience there. All that is is obedience. And the next thing says this, but as for you, enemy, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Basically what the people said on this day was, I say no more to you. I'm done with you. I've given you rain for seventy years. You've beaten us up for seventy years. On this day, February fifteenth, two thousand and nine, I say I'm done with you. We're getting a divorce. We've been married for seventy years. I break up with you. And then go back to Joshua and wrap it up with this. If you go back to Joshua, it says this in verse uh, chapter six, verse twenty. And let me set up what they did before that. Joshua 6, 3 through 5, basically, the Lord tells them, here's what you're gonna do. And you got the mighty men, the mighty men, the warriors. And they got equipment and gear and swords and stuff. And they, they fight. That's what they do. That's their job. And you got the priests. And you got the rituals and the vessels. And you're thinking, man, this is gonna be a great display, a great show. The Lord's gonna tell the mighty men to, to launch at it, to go at the wall. We had a friend growing up, my brother and I had a friend named Eric Skirbing. He had a little brother named Jason Skirbing. Jason was about 6 or 7, and we at that time were like 11 or 12, being old, wise, and and still just totally stupid. But even we recognize this is foolish. The little brother would get up, they have one of those driveways where you start at the top, and it goes down, and you go in the carport, and it dead ends into the house, the brick wall. A little 6 or 7-year-old brother, he'd get on this big wheel and just crank it out, just getting it going down the driveway. He'd come through the carport, and he'd hit the brick wall, and the thing just, (coughs) just slam him up into the wall. And would get all bloody, and of course, being older, wiser, caring people, we'd cheer him on, yeah, do it again, and he'd go back up and do it again, so time and time again, he just kept slamming himself into the wall, and I think we do the same thing, we've got this wall up that keeps us from our destiny, and we think it's by our power, by our might, by our decisions that we're going to knock it down, and it's just as stupid as riding a big wheel into a brick wall, and so he says, here's what I want you to do, I want you to be obedient. And you're gonna look absolutely foolish. Mighty men, priests, ritual vessels. I want you to do a lap. Line up, parade it, rose bowl deal, take a lap around the outside, go back home. Huh? What? We're we're fighting with sword and shield and stuff. Go back home. Do it six days. One lap. Go back home. But on the seventh day, now the seventh day, the people are like, okay, now we fight. Now we're gonna go after it. No. Do it seven times. March around, march around. And then at the last time when you get a big trumpet blare, you shout and and the wall comes down. All he's saying is this. All that to say this. Always telling the people is you want that wall to come down in front of you? Stop doing what you've been doing, disobedience, and start doing what I'm telling you to do, obedience. And because of the obedience in Joshua, go to verse 20 in in chapter 6. It says, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. The sound of the trumpet at the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted, and when they gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. And notice this, it's beautiful. And when the wall collapsed, every man charged straight in, and they took the city. One of the mission statements of Stonebridge, and one of the beliefs is this, that he's placed us on this corner and this place to take this city. It's city transformation. It's county transformation. That's, that's one of our core values in why we're here. And he says this, you want to take this city? You want to storm in and see real spiritual transformation and stop the ritual transaction that may happen? He says, do what I tell you to do. Be obedient. Take ownership of your sin. Be obedient. And let's move forward. And I had this vision a couple years ago. And if the band will start coming up. I had this vision a couple years ago. It was, about, it was actually about our FCA at the high school. But the vision was simply this, and Ezekiel, it talks about this river of life that flows forth from the throne, and it's a river of increasing depth, and everywhere the river goes, it brings life, but everywhere it doesn't flow, there's stagnant death. Beginning of Joshua says, and the city was tightly shut up so that nothing went in and nothing went out. It was stagnant. It was a place of zero growth. It was a place of zero move. Obedience brings life. Obedience obedience breaks down walls that bring life. And he says this, if you want transformation, be obedience. And here's the thing about the river. The river of life is made up of droplets of water. David's been talking about this deal that's yours individually, which is part of a bigger deal, which is the Lord's. If you want your deal individually to be pure, life-giving water, be obedient. And when your droplet of water, your pure droplet of water, comes together with this flowing river of life, that's when you see city transformation. And, and so they're gonna we're gonna play a song. And I'd I, I invite you to do this, examine at some time today or later on, talk to your, your friends, talk to your spouse. Say this, what do you see in my life? I want you to take a walk around my walls, and I want you to examine where the place is broken down. Where does the enemy have access to my life and to my heart? Where is he beating me up? What's the sin that's there? I desire for that to be closed. And he says this I just want you to change your perspective. Stop seeing me through the limitations of the world and start seeing the limitations of the world through the prism of me. And then you can walk in your destiny. Let me pray for us.